0: Father, we love you, and we just want to say and want to acknowledge that you are the one who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless before the presence of your glory with great joy. These songs help us to recall that today, Father, and we are putting our trust in you. We know that you who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it the day of Jesus Christ and we are awaiting that day and longing and praying, Lord your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We long for the day and we will worship and live and love as we wait for that day to come. And specifically today, God, there is a call to love even those who will not return that love. And God, this is, this is hard. Our natural inclinations go elsewhere, so God, help us to read this text and to receive it and to feel the weight of it and to feel the lifting of your grace that empowers us to do these things. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you have Bibles, we're going to Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6. In the fall of 2001, I was a senior in college a little while back. And where my college was located, I was an hour and a half south of my hometown in New York and an hour and a half outside of New York City. And I recall on a day in September that year, coming back from my 8 o'clock class to my dorm, and seeing guys crowded around a TV and joining them to see what they were looking at, and recognizing video and images of an airplane that had struck the World Trade Center, and not long after another plane that struck that building. And we were stunned. We didn't know what to make sense of. They were trying on TV to gather details and make sense of what was going on. There were a lot of things there in terms of rumors and whatever else. And at our Christian college where I was, we had chapel every weekday at 10 o'clock. So from nine to about 9.59, we were all trying to like wait to the very last second just to watch and gather details. And then we sort of flooded into this room with students and faculty, about a 1,000 of us in a room. And a professor from our college was slated to speak that day in chapel to us. And that's all just happened in the last several hours. What would you say? And I remember distinctly him calling us after two songs of worship to turn to Romans 12. And I recall him preaching for a half hour on the idea that vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And some were puzzled by that. They thought, why, of all places, why go there? Why preach that? Why say that? And I've pondered that in the years since. And maybe he knew the hearts, especially of angry young men on that campus, and there were. And he wanted to convey to them again the way of Jesus and not just the way of our natural inclinations. Maybe he sensed this could be, and it certainly was, a defining moment in our culture where yet another version of stereotypes and distrust and fear and prejudice and lack of love could begin to reign. And he wanted to remind us of God's role and of our role in society and culture. This is one example of many we can give, and how we are constantly being called back to the ways of Christianity. And the ways of Christianity are weird, <laughs> they're strange in the eyes of the world, they're different, they're countercultural. Because when those things happen, or a thousand other examples, our natural tendency is to respond in ways that are not in accordance with the Bible is why we have a Bible. So God can teach us again and again to say, here's the way my people respond to these things and act in accordance with my character and my ways. This is especially true, I think, in a day, as it always has, but in a day when we're, we're more aware of, I think, persecution of Christians across this globe. So if you want some sobering, but I think needful and good reading, I would encourage you to go to persecution.org sometime. Put on by Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, It's a website that has news stories and resources for how we can pray for our brothers and our sisters across the globe in all these areas like Pakistan and Afghanistan and Iran and India and Indonesia and Sudan and all these places where it is difficult to be a Christian. It's hard, it costs you something. And Luke 6 reminds us when those hardships arrive on our doorstep, when we are are met in our Christianity with opposition, how do we respond? How do we deal with those things? And we may not be dealing with what's dealt with in Afghanistan or Pakistan at this point in our lives, but we will be met with resistance. And when we are, how do we as Christians respond to these things so I'm going to read Luke 6 starting verse 27 and just say before I read this this because you're going to read this and say oh my goodness like I have last few weeks this is a text that by God's grace shows a heart that's supremely satisfied in Jesus if we want this we better be all in satisfied in the greatness of our Lord Jesus what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back to the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. I told you. Tough easy to understand, I think we get the gist of Jesus' teaching, impossible it feels to apply. This is in Luke 6, context here of a, a time when Jesus is teaching vast multitudes. Just like Matthew 5, 6, and 7, this Sermon on the Mount, this is similar in content and a lot of things that are there. And Jesus calls us in this section to this main idea. Here's, here's the main point. We're called to love others. With extraordinary, genuine, God-given love, knowing God first loved you. I'll say this again. want to love others with extraordinary, genuine, God-given love, knowing God first loved you. It's the main point of this passage, to love. Extraordinary, it's genuine, it's God-given. I want to underline the word God-given to know this is... What God does in and through us. So before I move on as well, I wanted to say this because the word love can be misunderstood, uh, not always taken in the right kind of a way. So how do you understand what love is? And not a lot of time to do this, but if you want to look later on to 2 Corinthians 8 verses 1 through 10, this is 2 Corinthians 8 verses 1 through 10, I would say that love, Paul summarizes it like this. Love is... The overflow of joy in God, so it's the overflow of joy in God that gladly meets the needs of others. If you read that text, you'll see this. It's the overflow, like my joy in God is so great and so massive, this cup called my heart is overflowing with joy in God so I can meet the needs of others. Go toward them and say, I want to meet your needs in this kind of a way. That's love. And that's happening to people that love us in return and those who also, in this text, despise us. So first point to mention here. Embrace the call to love. Embrace the call to love. This is verses 27 to 31. Just know it begins with the word, but. He's contrasting here. So Pastor Trent hit last week these these blessings and these woes. Jesus just said, woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are full now. Woe to you who laugh now. Woe to you who have people speak well of you now in this time. And he's contrasting now to say, but you, you blessed ones, you people who are following me, you're going to walk in this kind of a way instead. So he's contrasting what came before. And by the way, he's already told us as disciples, we will... Suffer. So in verse 22 of chapter 6 in Luke, it says, Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Man, we were sitting in a hotel room yesterday afternoon, and I read those verses to my family, my wife, and kids, and said, Hey, this is part of the background of what I'm, I'm preaching tomorrow and I read that, it's like, you know, blessed are you when people hate you and persecute you, rejoice and leap for joy. And my kids, I think, rightly were just like, what? That's, that's weird. That's crazy. Like, why, why would you respond in that kind of a way? And you see it there, reward, great, you see it in verse 36 to 37, reward, great, God's kindness, God's mercy. We'll get there in a bit, but this is not natural. This is God at work in us to produce these kinds of things, and we should, friends, we should recognize we ought to expect in this life suffering, persecution, mistreatment, being maligned, gossiped about, talked about in a negative way. Let me read you some verses besides these ones. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved, Matthew ten twenty two. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you, John 15, verse 20. When they preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue the faith and saying that through many tribulations, they must enter the kingdom of God, Acts 14, 21 and 22. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, 2 Timothy 3, 12. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. That's John 16, verse 33. To recognize that hope that we have, but can I just say really quickly, there are pastors and ministries and churches who are bent on ignoring those verses and in some kind of a way trying to construe Christianity as a means to your present prosperity. And it is false. We've got 10 more verses we can read off right now in terms of the fact that we could say this life we should expect there's gonna be suffering and hardship and difficulty and tribulation and eternal joy. That's the promise. That's what we see in scripture. So even with that in front of us here, in terms of persecution, suffering, he calls us to love. So he says it in nine different ways, just real brief here. Nine different ways he says this in the first few verses. He says in verse 27, starting here, love your enemies. I think we all get what enemies are. I think we're all aware of what that means. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. Those last two, especially, I think of, I don't know what you think of, I think of Stephen in Acts 7, as he proclaims gospel truth and starts getting pelted with stones. And he prayed for those people. And he didn't pray like, oh God, strike them down in your justice, right? There's prayers of justice in the Bible. They're there. But I think Jesus is trying to lead us toward a heart like Stephen had in Acts 7 because we know, what did he pray? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He prayed the mercy and the love of God in his heart for those people that, that we, I think in kind, would pray, oh God, open their eyes to see the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Let them have a Saul to Paul turning moment. Show them your glory, even if it costs me my life. He gives some illustrations in these verses. He says, turn the other cheek, which just to to note what this means, the idea here is an idea of insult not assault. So the idea would be, if you've seen it in like, a movie or a, a cartoon, when a, a person like, is wearing white gloves and they take off the white glove and then they kind of smack the person's face with the white glove. You've seen this in a movie or a cartoon of some kind. That's the idea. Is like I'm going to strike you on the cheek to insult you about your whole testifying of Jesus. And we would say, I can handle your insult for the name of Jesus. And if you want to insult me again for Jesus, I'll accept it. I'll turn the other cheek as well. We give to those who beg. We don't demand people get back goods they took from us. We don't withhold from those who take a call to be more concerned with people than with our property even. This is like Hebrews 10 at the end of the chapter where people go to visit their brothers and their sisters in jail and they saw the plundering of their property happen because they were identifying themselves as Christians with Christians and they were plundered and said, man, the treasures that Jesus has for us are greater than our property. That's the kind of heart that can love like that when it costs. And then finally he says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, the golden rule there. So these feel like maybe extreme conditions, like ah, we're not living there, we're not getting that kind of treatment, gotcha. But when any kind of mistreatment comes in terms of the gospel, this is the kind of lifestyle, the kind of heart we are to exude and show in this culture. And You may feel like that's weighty, that's hard. Right, this is Christianity. It's beautiful, it's glorious, it's joy-filled, and Jesus didn't say like, hey, if you wanna, if you wanna follow me, like, be comfortable, take up your lazy boy, and, and come at your leisure. He, he didn't say that. The very words that he's calling disciples with is deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And so it's not easy. He's not calling us too easy in Christianity, which is why he gives his word and prayer and his grace and his spirit to accomplish this in our lives. We are called to love our neighbor as ourselves even when that neighbor can't stand us. I've got a friend in a city, a little ways from here, but urban setting, and his church has dedicated to most Saturdays each month going to an abortion clinic in their city. And, and what they do there is they, they uh, encourage young ladies who are going into this clinic to not have an abortion. They share the gospel with them, and they try to provide resources for them uh, as they are going to that particular place. And my friend has told me, uh, it's like, I've had punches literally thrown at me. Didn't see that, see that one coming. Uh, I've been cussed out. I've been pushed literally physically away so as not to be able to speak to these young ladies. And he said, I've been told more than once uh, by people there, I wish you had never been born. And they keep going and they keep ministering and they don't retaliate. They don't try to meet hostility with hostility. They go, they love, the fruit is meager, the work is hard, but God is doing some work in that place in really profound ways because of both their their verbal testimony and the way in which they respond to those who are responding to what they're doing. And 1 Peter 3.15 says, we know this, always be ready to give a defense for the reason, for the hope that is in you. We're convictional Christians who know what we believe and why. And it says, but do so with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. So we do it in that kind of a way with those around us. So can I just say, this text assumes you're around people that aren't like you. They don't know Jesus, they don't care about church or Christianity or Bible, and they may not like the fact that you do. And so pray in your jobs and your schools and your recreation, in your neighborhoods, Pray for opportunities to share the gospel, to make it known. Take those opportunities and expect those opportunities at times to be met with hostility, maligning, misunderstanding, mistreatment. That's what Jesus tells us to expect. But we go and we do that because God could use you to change hearts. He is using you to change hearts through his gospel word. So embrace called call to love. Second, understand the difference of Christian love. Understand the difference of Christian love. This is key. Three examples here. He talks about loving and doing good and lending. Those three things. And the logic's always the same. If you Love, do good, and lend to those who would do that in return. What good is that, Jesus says. Even unsaved people do that. He's basically, who cares? That's easy. I'm calling you as Christians to distinctively do the hard thing. I can think of many examples of this, right? Think of friends who've shown love to me. I want to show that in return to them. We're wired when we show kindness to expect it in return, right? If I invite someone to dinner at my house, I expect that to be reciprocated. Like I want to be at your place eating your food sometime, right? That's how it goes, right? Uh, In traffic, I'm gonna abide by traffic rules and I want you to do the same, right? That's not always the case, but I want that. I love biking. A lot of bike trails, my, my hometown here, and as a cyclist, if I, if I pass you, I wanna say, on your left, to let them know I'm going by, and you do the same thing for me. And when those things don't happen, no invite for dinner, traffic craziness, cyclists speeding by saying nothing, we're just like, come on. Right, we respond like you, you've done injustice. And Jesus is saying, like, yeah, yeah, yeah." like, expect that. Not not, not those examples, forget those. Like, in in terms of like loving other people, like, love people when you know they're not gonna love or do good or return anything to me in terms of that kind of love that I'm showing to them. Keep on loving, keep on going, keep on doing that, be faithful in that. That's what he's calling us to. He's saying, keep on loving, and he's saying, keep on loving enemies. Don't expect anything return. If you do expect anything, expect mistreatment. (laughs) That's what he's saying in this text, right? That's where he's going with this. And keep on loving and keep on doing good. Let me ask really quick here. As God's calling us to that, one thought I had for the last couple weeks is, okay, God, you're calling me to love those who don't love me in return and enemies and all this. And I'm just wondering, in our local church contexts, Do we, even before all that, show manifest, definitive, beautiful love for each other? You know what I'm saying? There's a call here that feels like it's impossible, and I'm wondering, are we even doing that here amongst Gospel City Church with these people in this place? Is it happening here? John 13, 34, it says, uh, a new command I give to you that you love one another just as I've loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So let's start there to say, man, let's love here. If there was some breach of relationship here where there's a lack of forgiveness being shown, small group setting, Somewhere in this local church where you say there's, there's things that need to be taken care of, you need to take care of them. Because if we want to love like this, then we got to love like this in this place. That's a witness, and so is you loving beyond these walls. Let's love here, and then together, let's love beyond these walls to those who need to know Jesus Christ. And third, idea here, imitate the Father's Love. Imitate the Father's love. I want to embrace God's love and imitate what he's doing in this way. So, like me, I hope you're feeling the weight so far of this text to say, man, this is a hard thing, a difficult thing Jesus is asking, and now he's going to turn to the means, I think, by which we can actually do this. So verse 35, it says, love, do good, lend and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. So we love others who would despise us as disciples of Jesus. We don't expect worldly favor, but rejoice in the fact that God promises your reward will be great. 1 Peter 1, your your sons, it says, your inheritors, and the inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And the greatest gain of our inheritance is God Himself. We, We gain the greatest gain of the gospel is God. We will be with him as we sang forever. He will be our God, we shall be his people and we'll be with him with never ending, ever expanding joy and satisfaction and pleasure in him. That's what awaits us. Like Psalm 1611 is true. You make known to me, God, the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy at your right hand. There are pleasures forevermore. And this world is offering all the time temporary pleasure that kind of satisfies. And God's saying, ah, how about like infinite joy forever? Gee, I don't know. No, God, he wins. You to him for satisfaction and joy. He offers it in full measure. That vision of God awakens our hearts to love him and to love others as well. And just note this, in verse 35, he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And I thought of that phrase, the ungrateful and the evil, and I thought, oh, what that means is God loves me. What that means is God loves you. For while we were still enemies, Christ died for us, Romans 5, verse 6. We were all born in Adam, rebel, enemy, sinners, despising God and his ways, and God rescued and redeemed and reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he did it while we were enemies, ungrateful and evil, he showed mercy. And we we love in this country kind of because he first loved us. This is a proclamation of the gospel to our own soul to say, I love that way, as Luke's describing, because I can in Christ who's loved me mercifully. One article I was reading recently said this about this issue of like persecution in the church and injustice going on in the world in many ways. He said, Quote, it's time for Christians to ask whether they're willing to take Jesus at his word and love our enemy. How can we love such people? How can we love a person who is so filled with hate, who sought to inspire hatred in others, who's committed such evil and caused so much pain? Only by remembering that while we were still sinners, while we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. Will we let such an evil individual be to us as the Ninevites were to Jonah? Or will we take the chance to reflect deeply on the gospel of God's grace, allowing it to drive us to prayer, position one, and his salvation? The hardness of his heart must be unimaginable but we believe in a God who brings life from death and can break even the hardest of hearts, end quote. We believe this because God did it in us. He turned us from darkness to light. He rescues rebel enemies and loves them and calls us to love in this world. I want to finish If we turn to Ephesians 3, just to finish with this idea. Ephesians 3. is a helpful prayer from Paul to think through how how could this this actually happen? How could my heart turn toward love for brothers and sisters, but even beyond that, love for those who would despise my Christianity, my faith in God, my faith in Jesus? How do I do do that? Here's a prayer. Maybe tonight this could be used as an opportunity to pray in your fresh encounter service. Verse 14, it says, "'For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, "'from whom every family in heaven and earth is is named, "'that according to the riches of his glory,' and there's a lot of riches there, "'he may grant you to be strengthened with power "'through his Spirit,' spirit empowerment here, "'in your inner being, "'so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith.'" So spirit empowered so Christ can dwell that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So empowerment, dwelling of Jesus, so we can know this love that surpasses knowledge, by the way, thank you, Paul. It's like know this love of Jesus that surpasses knowledge. Okay, just keep plumbing those depths again and again and again is the idea that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So prayers, oh God, fill me with your spirit, Christ dwell in me so I can see this love of God sent to me through Jesus so I can be filled with all the fullness of God. And what does that look like? Turn just quickly here to chapter five of Ephesians. It says there in verse one, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The call is to love others with extraordinary, genuine, God-given love, knowing God first loved us, and that can be really easy and unbelievably difficult at times, and God's grace is sufficient for us every step of the way. So, Father, we... Just close our time here by praising you for your grace and mercy that you supply to us day by day, moment by moment, where we can walk in this love because you have first loved us. You've shown mercy to the ungrateful and the evil, and that was us. And we are no longer there, we are children of light. And so God, I pray that you would work this text within our hearts. To love as Jesus loved, as you loved through Jesus, and call us beyond these walls, South Bend, and Mishawaka, and Granger, and Elkhart, and beyond, that you would do great, miraculous acts of love through these people, for the glory of your name, that your gospel may be known by those who are here and beyond. Pray this in Jesus' name.